0: This is ContraZoom.
1: Where we go back and forth about film.
0: I'm Dakota Arsenault.
1: And I'm Rachel Ho.
0: On today's show we are talk, we are continuing our A twenty four retrospective. This is our tenth edition of the series. You can listen to episodes one hundred eighty one, Life After Beth, one hundred eighty Enemy, or go all the way back to one o eight a history of A twenty four films to get the full backstory on the company. Today, we are going back to our chronological order with 2014's Under the Skin, directed by Jonathan Glazer. The film stars Scarlett Johansson as a nameless woman who picks up lonely men in Scotland before bringing them back to a black void where their bodies are harvested. As it turns out, this woman isn't human. Before we go deeper into the film, I want to welcome back to the show Callum McNabb, one half of the horror movie podcast, Scare Producing. He and his wife Gisella used to review horror movie franchises, but have since shifted to tackling individual films. Callum has been a guest numerous times, most recently when I interviewed him for a Better Know a Contributor series, and before that on episode 104, Make Remake the Invisible Man. Welcome back to the show, Callum. How are you?
2: I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to talk about a film which takes place in a city I currently live in and was born in.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, you've been, you've made it quite well known that this is one of your favorite films. And so when we started this series, I kind of had this one circled of, okay, we got to make sure we get Calamon for this. A, because I know you love this movie and B, because it takes place in your backyard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, another reason I was very interested like when I knew you were doing this series and I was like, I need to find a way to get on this podcast. Is because one, I love the movie Two, uh, it's, it's set in Glasgow for the most part, uh, which is, as I say, the city I'm from. And three, you guys, it's a Canadian podcast. The first time I saw this movie was in Canada. So it all ties together. Cause I've got some things about Canada, uh, about how I saw this film and stories.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to hear all of your takes on this, hot and cold. <laughs> but before we do, uh, I want to kick off the episode with our tradition of our A24 Four Questions, where we've got four questions that we ask every guest, and uh, and you give us your answers, so that way we keep compiling these and we, we have an idea of what everyone thinks of this company as a whole. Uh, are you ready, Callum? I am, Yes. All right. So the first question, what are your top three A24 films?
2: So this question absolutely messed with my head for weeks. So (laughs) I've decided to just, I I can't do it. So what I'm going to do is give you the three that come to mind when I think of like memorable cinema experiences. Like I'll never forget watching it on the big screen the first time. So that's Hereditary, The Florida Project, and a very recent one, everywhere, anywhere, all at once. Aww. Those are the three I'm going to give you.
0: Those are great nice. choices,
1: excellent choices.
2: I'm
0: uh, I'm a little surprised that under Under the Skin didn't make the cut for you there.
2: It 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 did until Tuesday when I saw Everywhere, Anywhere, All at Once, and I thought we're already going to be talking about Under the Skin. I can I can throw it away and put in because <laughs> the experience I had just watching it there. It was like this film is going to live long in the memory. Everybody in the cinema was just in hysterics laughing and, uh, you know, there was a couple of tears at points and people. it just seemed like, um, I don't know, everyone was on board with it. It just felt like kind of like a big blockbuster experience, even though it was an indie movie, sort of. So, uh, yeah, it decided uh, I could swap them out and put that on.
1: Nice. I love how much that movie has like reached out to people. I wasn't expecting when I first saw it. I I, I knew it was good and like I thought, oh, it's a good movie. I didn't think it would have as big of a reception as it has, which is amazing. Like I think it's awesome that it has.
2: Definitely, um, yeah. I've seen people on TikTok raving about it. Yeah. Not that I use TikTok that much, but uh, whenever I do, I look at movie stuff and people are just yeah. And then Jamie Lee Curtis is like sort of she's sort of having like a bit of a. A Twitter war or something with the, the Doctor Strange movie which <laughs> yeah. is excellent
1: I saw she's that. like tweeting I that out
2: yeah. that like our movie's the better multiverse movie and you know we didn't spend this much money and stuff I think it's all like tongue-in-cheek or whatever but it's it's quite funny
0: which is really weird because I noticed in the credits that the Russo brothers produced it and it was cast yeah. by Sarah yeah, Halley yeah. Finn who does all the Marvel casting
1: I think it was partly because, though, um, I saw I saw a couple tweets of people being like, "Oh, you guys all thought Everything Everywhere did so well," um, but like in because I think by that point it was probably out for three or four weeks or something like that, um, and they were like, "Well, like Doctor Strange already made more than in one weekend or like on a Thursday than it did than you guys that that movie made for the course of three to four weeks," which is a very ignorant comment to make because obviously they're two very different films in that sense but yeah i think i don't know if that's what triggered jamie lee curtis off because people were saying that
0: Hmm. that's stupid it is well moving on to question two what was your introduction to a24 um
2: so yeah i again i'd seen a few of their movies before the one i'm going to mention but the first time i can remember like the a24 logo and being like aware of it and people were talking about it was the witch so i'm going to go with the witch um I'd seen Spring Breakers before, but at like A24 wasn't... I wouldn't call it an introduction to A24 because I had no concept of what it was or I didn't care. So I'm going to go with The Witch as my actual true calling to A24.
0: Nice. And a little bit of a plug here. You just recently put out a, a podcast about The Witch.
2: We did. We were going to do like a, a, a Robert Eggers miniseries. We did The Witch, we did The Lighthouse, and then we were going to do The Northman, which we saw in cinemas and then got, we went, first of all, went away, which was bad because you can't record when you're away and then got sick. Uh, so we didn't record and then it just got to the point where it's like, it's been like a month and a half. I don't really remember the movie that much. So we just, we just binned it. <laughs> and oh. did
0: Firestarter <laughs> instead.
2: Yeah, which, uh, not to spoil my own podcast episode, but uh, Firestarter, not as good as The Northman, unsurprisingly.
0: Wow, that's a bit of a hot take, considering all those reviews coming in about what a garbage movie Firestarter is. (laughs) All right, well, moving on to question three. What director, dead or alive, would make a good A24 film, in your opinion?
2: Uh, I initially, until this morning, I had David Cronenberg in this uh,
0: okay.
2: In this okay. slot, but then I was like, nah I want Cronenberg to have more money," so I threw him out, <laughs> and uh, I just put in someone that can sort of do s- smaller sort of stuff. I'm I'm going to say Richard Linklater.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think I think it. that would be it's a fine. great fit, sort of. Good. Some of his movies, I think his best ones are are sort of in the vibe that like Greta Gerwig goes for, you know, the Lady Bird, that sort of comedy drama, coming of age, that sort of stuff. So I think that's a pretty interesting pick.
2: Yeah, I think because I think most people sort of, well, when you think A24, it's quite easy to sort of think of like horror or darker cinema. But then, you know, as you say, there are the ladybirds, there are... a uh, is is Jonah Hill's movie, which I haven't seen, but his is A twenty four the the mid nineties, isn't it?
0: Mid nineties, yep, yeah,
1: you're right. A,
2: yeah, um, and then I was listening to a podcast today, and they mentioned a documentary about Val Kilmer, which I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, i tried so I watching
1: know- that i tried watching it last year and it made me so sad i couldn't finish it i it's not a sad i just i don't know i i felt very emotional about it because like he can't he can't speak anymore of al kilmer he didn't son. know this until I, this yeah, morning yeah. i found out this morning it's really it's quite i didn't know until i watched it and then it's his son because his son actually sounds like quite close to Val Kilmer, so I didn't really pick up that it wasn't him. And then as mm-hmm. I was watching it, I was like looking stuff up about the the documentary, and they're like, "Yeah, his son is doing it because he can't speak anymore." I was like, "Oh well, that's a real bummer." And then it <laughs> made me—I don't—I just wasn't in the headspace to watch it because it just made me so incredibly sad. But you know, I mean, and that's topical because Top Gun's coming out soon.
2: I'm yep. very excited for Top Gun.
1: <laughs> I heard it's amazing. I haven't it's- seen it, but I heard it's fantastic.
2: So yeah, but um, so yeah, that's the, the the sort of thing. Like I think people can sometimes forget that a twenty four isn't just this sort of like weird mystical indie horror. Um, so because obviously Richard Linklater is not really that kind of director, but he is a sort of good hangout guy. So I think he can make a good one. I,
0: I think I think that's a great that's pick, a pick because he has the experience both doing big budget studio films and like shoestring budget indie films. And A24 is kind of in the middle there. And I think like that's where his sweet spot is anyways. And then the last question I have for you, which is a very esoteric one. What makes an A24 film for you?
2: So I've just gone with creative freedom, lack of fear, regardless of genre or style. Mm. Um, It's just because kind of what I was saying there about, they've done all these different types of movies Kind of like if you could think of something like Swiss Army Man or Climax or the Philip Farewell. These, you know, these films aren't really anything alike, but people seem to sort of get interested by them regardless, anyway. As if there is some sort of connective tissue between them. Um, So I I think it just is. It it must just be something to do with like sort of unfiltered artistic expression or something like that.
0: I like that. That's a good answer.
1: Yeah, same. I think you can look at when we were just talking about the Northmen and Robert Eggers has been pretty vocal about the fact that he wasn't he had more studio interference on this one than he ever has. And I mean, part of that is he's given a massive budget for this film or for that movie, whereas in A24, like, you know, you talk about artistic freedom. He was allowed to do what he wanted to do.
0: Yeah, which is something I know you talked a lot about on your Lighthouse episode there, Callum, which is why you prefer that one over The Witch.
2: Yeah, uh, my wife and co-host Tizella, she completely disagrees. She, she, I mean, she likes The Lighthouse, but she, The Witch, is her favorite horror movie of all time. <laughs> uh, to me, The Lighthouse is just like I said on our podcast. Like to me, I'm watching The Lighthouse, and I think this is the movie that Robert Eggers wanted to make. Not that The Witch isn't, but I, I think that the, the Witch is sort of a mixture of. It's what I want to make, and a bit of a learning curve. And there's there's things that he's said he kind of regrets. I don't necessarily agree with them. Like I think the witch is great, but I think you can feel it in the lighthouse that like he's doing what he wants to do, and nobody's telling him otherwise. Uh, so she, my wife, said she was like, "But that doesn't mean it's a good movie." I was like, "I think it, I think you can feel it sort of coming off the screen." I don't I don't know how you can sort of quantify that or make it into something tangible, but it just it hits me emotionally in a way where. Um, you know his other films don't even though I do love them or uh, The Lighthouse is just I don't know maybe I should go back and put The Lighthouse in my top three that I said at the start <laughs> of the attack.
0: Awesome well let's uh, let's get into this movie ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba,
2: ba-ba-ba. Ba-ba-ba.
1: No, no, no. So you live alone? Yes you think I'm pretty? Well, I'm gorgeous
2: Come to me.
0: So... Under the Skin was co-written by Jonathan Glazer and Walter Campbell, based on a novel by the same name by Michael Faber. The film was directed by Glazer, who was making his first film in nine years, having previously directed the Nicole Kidman thriller Birth in 2004. The movie stars Scarlett Johansson as a not-so-human woman who drives around Glasgow in a delivery van, seducing and picking up men to bring back to her house, where she drowns them and their bodies are harvested. A mysterious motorcycle man both helps and keeps track of the woman. The film used mostly non-actors as the various men that get picked up. Most of the time, these men didn't know that they were being filmed until afterwards when they were asked to sign waivers to appear in the movie. The film premiered in August 2013 at Telluride Festival, before then playing at Venice and then Toronto, where A24 was able to secure the rights. It opened in the UK on March 14th, 2014, and later in North America on April 4th. This is going to be a spoiler-filled episode, so if you've not watched the film, we suggest doing that first. I think the starting-off point for our conversation should be Glasgow itself. The original novel sets the action in Scotland's largest city, and the movie keeps it there. As a Glaswegian, Callum, you are uniquely suited to talking about the city's portrayal. So let's start with you.
2: Okay. Uh, I think this film captures Glasgow in a way that is almost unexplainable. Um... I remember, so I, as I said, I watched it in Canada for the first time. I was in Vancouver when I first saw it uh, in the cinema. I don't remember what cinema it was in, but I saw, you know, the Tom Hardy movie, Lock, where mm-hmm. he's in the car. I saw that on the same day. I saw the two of them. So that was a very fun-filled day of popcorn <laughs> and thrills because those movies are lighthearted. <laughs> um, but under the skin... Both film both screenings weren't that full, but Under the Skin was was particularly empty. Um But I do remember people laughing, like outright laughing, whenever she would talk to a man in the street like Scarlett Johansson. And I was like, wait, are they are they laughing at the, the accents or the voices? Like, are they laughing at the people in the street? Like I, I don't I don't know because I was like that's how people talk. Like these are real people. I knew <laughs> I knew all about this. I think that was Part of the marketing campaign was, you know, this is... Or cer- certainly I was aware of it. I, I don't know if, if everybody was, but I remember being aware of the hidden camera thing. So I was just like, what What are you guys laughing at? Is it... I don't know. I never stopped to ask them. It could have been the accents. It could have been that one of their friends was like, wait, what are they saying? Because it wasn't subtitled, obviously. In fact, sorry, it wasn't subtitled, but I, say, I, I take away the obviously. Sometimes, even here in the UK, some accents will get subtitled even though they're speaking English. Like that sounds that sounds mad, but I'm not lying.
0: Like if they're Welsh. Um,
2: it could be Welsh, it could the be Northern Scouse, North, could it could yeah. Ones, yeah. You know, it's just people in London like, what are
1: they saying?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Was that um, your
1: was that your London accent just
2: now? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. Because one, I can't do a London accent, and two <laughs> It was just a comical voice,
1: <laughs>
2: which could be a London accent. Let's be real. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so so yeah. So people people were laughing in the screen. I say people. There was only about you know ten or eleven people there, but there were audible laughs at this movie with Scarlett Johansson talking to people but my jaw was just on the floor i was like oh my god that's just that's just how people talk that's just how people walk around the city that's just the streets of glasgow and it's just captured in this way that it's not um i don't know what, what the word is it's not like flattering it's not like you know every time i see a scottish movie it's usually like wanting to get revenge against english people for some reason or It's like some weird social, not weird, but like social realist drama where it's all super depressing. And this was just like, it's neither. It just is. That's just Glasgow. I'm just watching it going, what is happening? Like, am I a fly on a wall in my own city? And uh, it was kind of hypnotic. I had never done any like mind-altering drugs at the time, but that's kind of how it felt, even though it was just looking at my home city. I I honestly don't know how to describe it.
0: It's interesting. You know, I, I sort of want to talk about a little bit the accents maybe. And because there's, there's some scenes in it where I don't know if it was the sound mixing or just the way they record it, but there's these moments in the movie where you get like a large group of people, whether it's the scene in the mall or when uh, all the women are heading to the club and things like that, you get all these voices overlapping each other and you Mm -hmm. can't quite understand what they're saying. And, And you look at Scarlett Johansson, who's kind of like tilting her head and trying to decipher what they're saying. And I don't know if it's maybe because were not from Scotland. That that's why it kind of sounds a bit off. Or if it was specifically recorded in a way to make it almost indistinguishable to a listener. But do you think that maybe that the people that were inappropriate? La- inappropriately laughing at those scenes were because you get these moments of such surreal confusion of, I, I can't understand what they're saying. What what are these people saying? There's too much noise going on and you're all talking over each other and I just can't make out
2: what you're saying. Do you think that's what it was maybe? Possibly, possibly. But you used, uh, you kind of explained it better than I ever could. You used the word surreal experience there and I would agree with that. But it's surreal by being as True to life as possible, like these people don't know that they're being filmed, or certainly most of them don't. So it's not like any false pretense of what reality is. It is reality, and yet it feels surreal. Like you know, it feels otherworldly in a way. It's I I don't know how they achieved it, but I would say people talking over each other, people being loud and shouting. That is the impression of Glasgow that my wife uh, Gisela has. She's Mexican, and she is just like, Glasgow people are loud and they love to shout. <laughs> uh, I, I, I never noticed that before. I never really cared. I never understood that idea. But then I had a cousin from Northern Ireland come over and he said the same. He was like, do you people just love to shout all the time? So <laughs> I was like, I guess that's a thing. Um, I, I think, yeah, it just captures it. Maybe it is just like a a whole orchestra of voices and noise for no reason but i think it it captures yeah glasgow in a way that is just so i don't know it just is it just is they should put that on the poster it just is
0: (laughs) now rachel you've been over there as well what was your sort of impression of how the the city in the the region was portrayed
1: uh, i've never been to glasgow i went to edinburgh and okay. <laughs> and um where else did i go isle of sky i think i went up there as well um, i've never been it's very nice you should you should go up there you should take take <laughs> take your own country in, buddy yeah um never been uh I, I've liked it like I, I know I know the reputation Glasgow has In comparison to Edinburgh like Edinburgh is kind of Supposed to be the more like posh of the city And mm-hmm. Glasgow's more of your Kind of like of the earth Men mm-hmm. and women and, and things like that So I like I liked Seeing I mean this sounds really rude but it's like I like just seeing like a, a UK city Again after having lived there for a little while It's always nice when I can Watch a movie and they just show a city For kind of like without hiding it or anything like that like they just make it look like very very raw and very real so i liked it i thought i thought they showed glasgow nicely and that they didn't try to kind of pretty it up they didn't try to do any of that like they just left it to be the city that it is and it can be a bit gray it can yeah. be a bit dark and a bit um wet because of the rain <laughs> um, <laughs> So and I I like that they kind of added that like I like that they left all the blemishes in but they also at the same time like they highlight all the beauty that's in in Glasgow and Scotland in general like I think it's, it's a beautiful country and the people I like I had that moment once in Scotland where I asked for directions or no I didn't ask for directions I think I just looked really lost and some very kind person came up to me and asked me if I needed help and I said oh yeah like I'm looking for this place. remember and they said all this and i couldn't understand them and i felt really terrible and i'm usually pretty good at with accents but like like hearing like discerning english from an accent that's not of my own um but I could, just couldn't understand this guy, and I said, "Oh, thank you so much." I started walking in the other direction, and he was trying to call me back. Yeah, exactly. And I just turned. around I was just like, "Thank you," and I just kept walking because I was really embarrassed. Um, but I had really, I had a great time in Scotland. It was a great country, and I like, I like that. You know, for a British movie, usually you don't. It's most you know UK productions. It's going to be London or some countryside you know in England or something like that so it's nice to have a bit of a change and you know Dakota you mentioned that the original book was set in Glasgow and I'm glad they kept it that way because I'm sure that they probably had a discussion at some point of being like well maybe we move this into don't know London or something which is you you can use it so I, I like that they left it at, at Glasgow
2: yeah exactly how you what you just said there like I, I'm sorry but I'm sick of seeing London in films I'm sick of seeing New York um, in films yeah. Go somewhere else. I'm sick of Paris. I've never been to New York or Paris. I'm already sick of them. Yeah. Go somewhere else.
1: I, I yeah, I get that. I watched a movie um recently that actually you talk about Locke. It kind of borrowed. A, it's called Night Ride, Night Rider, Night Ride. I don't know. Anyways, it was set in Belfast, and I was like, I don't know if I've really ever seen a movie like over here, like not not like a like when I was over there. It was like I haven't seen a movie come to Canada, which is set in Belfast of all places, you know, other than the movie Belfast, obviously but that's like, whatever, but I'm about just like, it was just like kind of a, a grippy crime thriller type movie. And, but I agree. I think it's time that filmmakers start going outside and using different cities, like not even Toronto. Like I'm talking like, just go find different cities to set movies in. Cause it's so much more interesting than London, Paris, New York, even Tokyo is getting a bit worn out now.
0: And then the, latter half of the film what area of scotland is that taking place once they're kind of in the countryside
2: i mean as far as i know it's 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 further north but i don't actually know where where she ends up i have no idea okay Um, so i'm just gonna go and say the colloquial highlands and just say (laughs) that it's somewhere in the highlands
0: Excellent. Good to know. Um, I, I guess let's let's talk about sort of what we think overall of the movie. I know, Callum, you've already alluded to that this is one of your favorites from A24. Rachel, uh, what about you? Was this one that you had seen before and sort of what were your general thoughts on it?
1: Yes, I've seen it before. Funny enough, Callum, you said the first time you saw it was in Canada, in Vancouver. And first time I saw it, I was in London, in the UK. So there you <laughs> go. We kind of flipped lives there for a little bit. Um, yeah, so first time I saw it, it was in London. Uh, and everybody
2: was laughing at the accents in London as well.
1: I'm trying to remember. I don't remember anybody <laughs> laughing. Like, I don't, like, I find that such a funny response from a Canadian audience that they're laughing at the Scottish accents. Like, okay. Um I remember watching it and the first thing I I thought, like, especially towards the end with the end scene, I was just like, what the fuck did I just see? Like, what is this movie? Like, this <laughs> is so, it feels like nothing happens in the movie, but at the same time, like obviously a ton happens, but it just kind of felt like you were just living a day in the life of this young woman. And it, it so it, it doesn't have the typical sci-fi thriller elements of like, you know, a big, uh, you know, you're like a big setup and then a big climax and then you're kind of come down. Like, it's not like that. It's just, it's a very vibey movie with, but a balance of still having like big scenes and big moments, but nothing that's like crazy in your face, which I, that is what stood out to me for years. And I think I saw, um, I watched this one. And then, however, later, um, whenever Locke came out and then that was this, like, you know, you asked that question about the A24 questions. of like, what was your first, introduction to uh a24 and for me this was it because like i didn't re- like i was just like oh these movies are so weird and quirky and it ends up being by the same company like i i never like i hadn't put that together until i think i saw Locke and then i was like oh it's the same people that did that under the skin movie that johansson movie um, but I love it. I think it's such a unique film. It's something that's really different. It define it defies the genre, uh, the few genres in many ways, and also Scarlett Johansson's amazing in it. Like she's she's a fantastic actress. And I will say though, there was one point when she first started speaking. I remember thinking I thought she was supposed to like she was pretending to put on a British accent. Maybe she was because she's not like you I know, think
2: she's doing think. like a weird sort of full yeah. English
1: accent. Because it, um, it didn't sound normal to me. And I was just like, oh, I wonder if, but now that I've actually, now that I say it out loud, I realized, yeah, because she was not of this earth. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that would make sense that she's just kind of putting, but then you would think being in Scotland, she would have tried to attempt a Scottish accent, not a, like a, like a. Well,
2: a even, Meryl, even Meryl Streep says that that's difficult. So I think we can forgive her that. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Cal, can I ask um, the difference between a Glasgow accent and an Edinburgh accent? What what's what are the differences there? Is there a difference? There must be.
2: Yeah, there there is a difference. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyone who's listening from Glasgow right now is probably going to be shouting like he's not fucking from Glasgow, <laughs> um, because I, I'm from outside the city in like a really middle class area, so I don't have the typical Glaswegian accent. Um, so I'm not going to define what it is. I would say Glaswegian accent, if I was to put it in a context like <sighs> Glaswegian is the sort of the northern English and Edinburgh's the south. If if I was to put it in that sort of context, like it's Edinburgh's more proper and well-defined Uh Glasgow's a lot more slangy, a bit more nasally, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just, Glasgow's like, it's weird. Glasgow is almost like an accent that sounds nothing like the rest of Scotland. And yet people from Glasgow are the main proponents of the independence movement and being like, fucking, yes, Scotland, here we go. And yet they hate everywhere else in Scotland. They're like, ah, they are <laughs> absolute farmers. They're chuchters. And they're weirdos and whatever. And it's like, wait, why do you like this country? Um, so it's just a bit more salt of the earth than Edinburgh. Edinburgh's the, Edinburgh's the poshers. That's what we'd say. I say that myself as a bit of a posh, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Thank you for that. Uh, Dakota, how do you like the movie?
0: Yeah, this was... I didn't catch this one in theatres. Uh, I remember my original co-host andreas was a big fan of it when it came out and i didn't catch it right away and and i don't remember when i saw if it was the same year or the next year but i eventually watched it at home it was just it, it was just one of those movies that just like so immediately strike you as this is different than other films and like you don't get that experience very often we talked about earlier, everything, everywhere, all at once. A movie like that where it just kind of hits you of this is a filmmaker on sort of a completely different wavelength than anything else going on. Obviously, you know, with that movie, the this whole sort of um, multiverse dimension things. There's other movies obviously doing that right now, but still is so wholly unique. In the same with this, the fact that it's a sci-fi movie, but like it doesn't really care about what you know about the alien life forms. It's a horror movie, but like, it's not about the jump scares. It's not about even really the slow burn. It's just about constant tension and dread. It's not about the, the drama because really they don't really give you much to go on as far Mm -hmm. as plot. So it's just it's so different that Jonathan Glazer just basically out all conventions like, you know, what? I'm going to make a movie that's only interesting to me, but you know what, I'm going to make it really damn well. And because of doing that, he made this movie that so many people have connected with. And, and it was you just your mind gets blown out. Like we'll talk about a little bit later stuff I want to hit on, mainly both the music and then Scarlett Johansson's performance. Every once in a while, like, you know, you you listen to a movie, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good score. I like that. But then there's some movies like this where it's just like – this score, there was something about this score that is going to live with me for the rest of my life. And whenever I hear the notes from it, it's going to bring back memories. And the same thing with Scarlett Johansson. This wasn't the first time that she's put in a good performance and it won't be the last time, but it was something so surprising that I don't think anyone could have expected from her. We've never really seen anything like this from her and we haven't seen anything since. So just all those things combined to create this wholly unique package that I think if you're going to connect with it, you're going to connect with this in a big way. You look at the reviews on Letterboxd, and it's like everything is either a five-star or a one-star. There's nothing in between of like, yeah, I kind of liked it. No, it's either this movie is the greatest thing I've ever seen or what the hell was this shit?
1: (laughs) The good point you talk about like how the movie, you know, the director just – you can feel their passion and their love and their creativity for the film. And that is exactly what Callum was talking about with Robert Eggers and the lighthouse. Like, you know, you don't necessarily, you make an unconventional movie that seems kind of weird and seems kind of odd. But um, if you put that kind of authenticity to it, that like genuine passion that you have for the story, it can connect to people. Even if like we, I mean, what do we have in common with the Scarlett Johansson character? Nothing. Right. Like, Oh, I hope not anyways. And <laughs> it's, so it's, but yet you still find something about the movie to grasp onto. And I think that that's something that's, you know, not to be too much of a a 24 fangirl or whatever, but it's like, that to me is what makes the studio or the produ- production company so good is that they do just let their directors be. And just like, they don't try to go in and say, Hey, like maybe we'll try to make this a bit more mainstream, a little bit more. Like, let's do a bit of an edit after your film festival run. Like, Mm -hmm. keep what made it great and let it continue on because people will like, it will find an audience.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the defining moment of this is it really is what does it mean to be human from someone looking at it through a lens that isn't human. And when you you sort of take that universality approach to it, it doesn't matter the fact that, you know, this movie takes place in, in, in Glasgow. This isn't, the people, it isn't about people from Glasgow, it's about people as a human race. And what does that mean in terms of, you know, uh, loneliness, wanting companion, attraction, all those sort of things that, you know, base level human instincts we have.
2: Yeah, which is, which is why I I love that they, as you said, like, they, they, they could have easily moved this to, you know, England, or they could have moved it to the states or whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be set in Glasgow. It's not about Scotland or Glasgow. Um, it's about someone who is initially, essentially, hunting people, realizing, you know, actually, maybe what they have is something worth living for, and let's try it. And going on that adventure is the wrong word, but it's the closest I have. Um, have either of you read the book?
1: No, I've not. No. Have you?
2: No, I, I've read the book. I, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I, I, it, To me, it feels like, have you read the book Annihilation? You know, the Alex Garland movie?
0: I, I have read that book, but, yes.
2: Right. I, this, uh, to me, I had the same experience, which is I'm not a massive fan of either of those books, and I love both the movies. And the movies are so different from the books.
0: Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying.
1: Cause usually you would think like most people go like, Oh, the book is going to be better than the movie, but yeah, I like every now and then you kind of come across a um, filmmaker who's able to like elevate the material into something that's a little bit different to what the author, maybe not that what the author intended, but just like what the author presented and, and the way that you absorb it. So I think that that's really cool. I maybe kind of want to read the book now, even though you said it's not as good. I still, I'm just curious curious about it. I think it's just a case of, I could be wrong, but as
2: far as I'm aware, and again, I feel like this applies to Annihilation as well, which is kind of why I grouped them together in my head. That the, the Jonathan Glazer had read the book like once and then was like, I'm not going back to it. I'm just going to have my memory of what it is. Here's the story I want to tell. And if it starts to wander, then I'll let it wander and I end up going in this direction. And I'm not going to go back and check the source material. And uh, yeah, You're it fascinated. ends up... Because like in the book... Uh, the female character, she is named, uh, and they talk about you know that she and her alien race or whatever. I think they're like more like dogs, and she's had plastic surgery to look like a human. Um, it seems to be much more about like meat farming and stuff, but done through this sort of analogy of aliens hunting humans and eating humans. Whereas the movie is about what does it mean to be human. I, at least I think that's what's it's about. It's been a while since I read the book, but I remember it being different.
1: <laughs> I like that idea though, because instead of kind of what we were saying about the movie is is it's not not that it's not about anything, but like it kind of takes, um, like the the vibe or the spirit. Maybe that and like that's what he read and what Glazer read from the book, and that's what he took away from it. So that's what he's going for. I thought that's really neat.
0: Now you mentioned. the the sort of harvesting or farming that goes on. And I want to talk about what that sort of means in the context of this movie, because we don't really get a lot of information about, about what the purpose of these aliens on earth is. We, we see Scarlett Johansson, you know, seduce these lonely men who uh, don't have, family or people that would notice that they're missing right away so she lures them back to her house which you know it's kind of like a TARDIS where she opens the door and suddenly it's this giant void inside her house um and they sort of sink into this goo and their bodies sort of just sit there suspended in animation before eventually everything except for their skin gets sucked out of it and gets transported away. And that's really all we really get of what this is, despite the fact that that takes up about a good half of the movie, maybe even more. Does it matter that it's basically essentially a red herring to set up that Scarlett Johansson isn't human or is that something that you, you connect with or feel it adds something substantial to the plot?
2: I I think it adds something. Well, yeah, I think it does add something substantial. Um, I, I think it certainly adds something substantial to to her actual performance. I I watched it again very, very briefly earlier tonight. I sort of had it on in the background to sort of remind myself of it. Almost right at the start, one of the first few times, as you say, she talks to men and asks them like, oh, you know, are you here alone or do you have friends or family to sort of figure out, you know, are these people that nobody will, will miss, nobody will realise is gone. It's like one of the – I think it might be the first time – she talks to someone and she's like light and you know smiling and jovial and then the person says to them like yeah uh, I've got like a family or something and her face just drops like almost like she hasn't realized yet that you know humans carry on the conversation you know in the same manner you know you you can't just as soon as she realizes like oh my work isn't going to work here my job's done she just almost like I'm not interested anymore and it just to me it just stands out immediately like oh she doesn't get yet that that's not how conversations work. Just because someone said something you don't like, you immediately are like, nah, I'm done. See you later. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic performance from her. And I think that uh, the harvesting stuff, that her bringing the people back, uh, is it important to the plot? Well, I mean, yes and no, but it's certainly important to the experience because it gives this film... Some of the proper horror imagery that and you're talking about the score and stuff. It's that stuff that'll live with me longer than anything else. The uh the harvesting sequence in particular. It's so unbelievable. I jumped out my seat in the cinema. I love
1: the way they did that. It looks so great. Like it's and it's not like particularly flashy or gruesome or anything like that, but like it's so disturbing in its own way. Um, but kind of oddly subtle in like you know, not without being subtle at the same time. Like I, I think that the one thing I think Glazer does so well in this movie is like he finds a good balance between every aspect of the film, which I find amazing. But yeah, Scarlett Johansson's amazing. Though she's, um, she's very, very, very. She's a very good actress, and like I think sometimes people forget that. I don't know why. Maybe it's because she's she is as beautiful as she is, and so some people just don't think about that with her sometimes. But um, she's uh, like a phenomenal, phenomenal actress.
0: I think before we kind of get into her performance, one one other thing I I want to talk about that is kind of a big part of it is the role of nudity in this movie, which is is so interesting because we've got Scarlett Johansson, who, you know, I think we can all sort of say objectively is a very attractive woman, uh, appears naked many times throughout the movie. And yet it weirdly is completely unsexual every time, which is, you know, not something that you can really achieve just by accident. Like, obviously, it was done in such a planned way, but it's so unnerving watching this happen. And then we also have on the flip side a lot of male nudity as well. And something I can't even think of have seen in, you know, a mainstream film, and that is men having erections on film, which you never get. And so the mm-hmm. first few naked men that you see, you know, before they're going underwater, you see them with erections. It isn't until the last man, the man with the facial defigurement, who is not aroused by the situation going on, which in itself kind of completely changes the whole narrative of what that scene and their interaction means— and I think that leads to you know maybe her setting this man free and stuff like that. But yeah, I I sort of want to talk about the role that um, that nudity plays in this movie.
2: I re- I certainly remember. Again, it might have been. Oh, it would have been twenty fourteen. It would have been Facebook. I don't know if you people in Canada use Facebook anymore, but it's not <laughs> that popular here anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah, it's Facebook's dead here. Facebook is for the for the mums and the dads now. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember at the time people being like joking about like oh, I'm going to see the movie where Scarlett Johansson gets naked or whatever or like they heard about this mystical thing like oh my god Scarlett Johansson fully nude in a movie um, and I'd already seen it by this point and I was just like I don't think you realise what you're getting in for like <laughs> even if you take away from the fact that the movie is weird the scenes where she is nude as you as you say they are so unsexual in an, it, it's it's strange because. She is luring aroused men. I mean, admittedly to their deaths, but they're aroused and she's, you know, faking it and luring them in. And yet there is no sexual to it at all. It's just pure horror and terror. Um, it's, it's. I think that's all on Glazer and Scarlett Johansson and the score by Mika Levy. It just, it just is like, you are not supposed to be thinking, look at this Hollywood, you know, A-list star nude. Oh my God. You are supposed to think, Get out of that fucking house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, I mean, something that we talked about in, it was like the spring breakers episode. Um, was there another one? No, I think just the spring breakers one. We were talking about like the male gaze and you know, how it, it's when filmmakers kind of take a leering look at the female body and it becomes kind of uncomfortable and then a little bit like grimy and and not cool. And I think that this movie is a perfect example of using nudity in a movie and how you, it's your intention. It's the intention of the filmmaker. So when, you know, if, if, if ever, I don't know if this is the case, but like if ever there's a director who goes, well, I'm not purposely intending to make it look sexy. It's just these women are sexy. It's like, well, Scarlett Johansson is, I think, uh, like you said, decoded, objectively an intr- incredibly attractive woman. And yet through Glazer's, you know, eye in his lens he he makes it so that it's it's not sexual it's completely void of any it's it's void of sexuality but it's it's filled with kind of violence and terror as you said Callum so I think that like I found that it's an interesting point to bring up because I think like it is a great example of how you know you can have nudity in a movie and not necessarily make it um kind of gross in a way and that when when it is gross it is very intentional like it is it's not something that just accidentally happens because you have a naked person on screen um you know and i i I love that and i like that scarlett johansson for as big as she is like as big of a a star as she is that she agreed to do this like full kind of full-on nudity and um without making her look you know like um, again, she is still attractive, Like <laughs> I don't know what we're saying, but like, you know, but without trying to like purposely like do soft focus or like, you know what I mean? Like trying to make her really, really look beautiful. Like, cause as anybody, if you're going to be naked on um, a video, like you want to look your best. And especially if, if for something like this, you know, that tons of people are going to be able to see it. Uh, so I love that. Like, there's no ego in this, but there's also partly probably confidence in knowing you're Scarlett Johansson <laughs> and like, you look amazing. <laughs> so it's fine. Uh, but it, it yeah, it's an interesting point to bring up though, Dakota. Mm-hmm. It
2: it is. And also the uh, the erection thing that you pointed out, I, I was thinking about that today as I say when it was on. I was like, I I can't I can't think of another example. The only one that comes to mind, but I can't remember is uh, have you either of you seen the Gaspar Noé film Love?
0: No. No, but no. I'm I'm familiar with that where it was basically shot to be a pornographic movie it's a
2: it's, it's essentially a pornographic movie it's it was shot and it was it was released in theaters at least in 3d um and me <laughs> yes, and, me I and I Zella, we were like we have to go and see this because it's in 3d like what the fuck is this movie because you know it's avatars in 3d but this movie about a sexual relationship is also in 3d what so we went and saw it it's okay <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, other than that yeah i don't remember and that movie's not as mainstream as this, and this movie isn't even mainstream, but erections, if it's so rare to even see a penis in a movie, I think. So I always love when there's a penis, I'm like immediately extra half star on there for just putting a penis in <laughs> the bravery. Erect penis, full star, you get a full, extra full star for that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, if you've, I'm sure both of you have seen Zola, which has got like a fucking montage, that's yeah. like an extra three and a half stars. Yeah. For, for that montage of dicks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I think that there's something about like the, the, the rating, the MPAA rating, why you can't not that you can't have erections, but like you can only have it for a certain period of time, like on screen. Mm-hmm. I remember reading something about it on, uh, or not reading. It was part of the commentary for forgetting Sarah Marshall. Cause Jason Siegel yes. goes full frontal in that. And he was talking about how like, they were very careful, about, like, Hey, like you can't have an erection, but he was, like saying well i want to look impressive so he was like kind of helping himself but not to the point of of having a full on erection because then it would have changed their rating completely and how like they the amount of times to show the penis it's really funny how like a penis discussions like they they always have a lot of oddness to them in terms of like how they're rated whereas like you can show full frontal female nudity and that's not really talked about well not that it's not talked about but you wouldn't get like an nc-17 rating um over that or anything is, like that.
2: is this rated it do, do either of you know i don't i'm assuming the ratings is different in canada um than the yeah, states but...
0: in, in canada it was rated 14a which is mm. sort of our our sort of catch-all rating for adult movies we it, it takes a lot for a movie to be rated r in canada um but I believe it was rated R in the United States because they have nothing in between PG-13 and R.
1: But they're also weird about sex though in the states they, they are. Like they're yeah. fine with violence but sex is a very strange thing for them down there.
2: Yeah. This is this is a 15 here. Um mm. but but yeah, I feel like R I know it's like the way that people talk about it, they talk about it the way that we would talk about 18s we don't have problem with, like, uh, you know, the Steve McQueen movie, Shame, that's an NC-17, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. that is. Whereas weird. that's that's just an 18 here. And then I remember the discussion, like, oh, it's an NC-17, that's a guaranteed bomb. And you're like, why is that a guaranteed bomb? Like, it's a legal rating.
1: It's, yeah. it's funny. Because like, theaters
2: won't, they won't show them. Yeah. They literally yeah. won't show them. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, well, it's a 15 here, so 14A, 15, yeah. red penises, yeah. there you go. Have at it.
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about the score. I'm going to read a a quote from the Pitchfork review of it where it said that the strings sometimes resemble nails going down a universe-sized chalkboard, screaming like a legetis like sense of horror. Elsewhere, they endlessly drone in a gaping vortex, like Vangelis' iconic Blade Runner score dipped in turpentine. First off, RIP to Vangelis, who just passed away, iconic film composer but yeah reading this it makes so much sense when i think of this score it sort of reminds me of take a you know traditional run-of-the-mill drama mystery score and then make it out of key and suddenly you have this otherworldliness where you're confused where you're like these notes sound right but they're not quite in the right order and they sound kind of weird to my ear and like it's It catches me and I don't know what's going on and I'm kind of confused by what's happening and it just sort of adds to all the tension and dread that's happening on screen and the confusion of not knowing where you are, who you are what's going on, all that sort of stuff Mika Levy who did this uh, also did the score for Zola coincidentally enough, also did Jackie another phenomenal score they are turning into one of the most unique and interesting composers working in film today. I would put Mika Levy up there with someone like Johnny Greenwood where I, it's sort of like you hear their name is attached to a film. Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to go see this now just for the music.
2: I was just about to throw Johnny Greenwood out there. and I'm not even a big Radiohead <laughs> fan, but just, yeah, you just hear like, oh, they did the score. I'm, I'm probably going to listen to it. Like, um, you know, I've heard the the Monos score that that Mika Levy did. I, I haven't even seen the film, but I've heard the score. Um, yeah, I, I love the score for this movie. It's 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 not something I would put on to relax myself, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I doubt you would.
2: To me, the score is 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 horror. It, it, it is horror. Yeah. That's the, the score is horror is horror movie all over it, but without being like. It's not hummable in the way that, you know, people can do the exorcist theme or the Halloween theme or whatever. Mm-hmm, you're like, do mm-hmm. the under the skin stuff. And you're like, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say it, it. It When I first saw it, it, I, it kept me sort of like playing in my head. Like, it just sort of kept me awake. I was like, what was that that was going on in the cinema? Like, was that wrong? Did, did they fuck it up somehow? Like are movies meant to sound like that it's just so different
1: yeah i love that they well like what you said dakota i think is really spot on about how like you know even if you don't have a musical ear which i don't think i do like i don't have a very good musical ear but it's like although i did study music when i was younger but it's like you can hear something is off like something is kind of wrong with the score like the notes aren't quite what we would kinda pres you would be like oh they played it wrong. Like you know, if somebody's playing the piano and they kinda go off in order to go into the wrong key. It's like you're like, oh they did it wrong. And you kinda feel the same thing with this one but I think like Callum what you said about it being it's like this score is a horror score. Like no doubt about it. You hear it and it's that high pitched the strings and the screeching and and that kind of thing. And it just adds so nicely to the movie of that is like a really quiet film right Like under the skin is, is it's, it's not loud it, there's no screams, there's nothing like that. It's, it's a fairly quiet movie and it's the it's the score that really kind of spoon feeds a lot of the mood to us and it does it really really well like, and it doesn't it doesn't it kind of jumps out at you without taking over and like overwhelming the, the film itself. So it's not like all you're thinking about is the score, but it is noticeable enough for you to be like, what the hell is going on with this? And it sticks with you, and I think that that's part of why the movie is as good as it is. It's like a perfect marriage between score and film and performance and like writing. Like it all just kind of comes together really nicely.
2: Yeah. Um, it, c- if, could I jump in slightly as well and say it, just to go back to the harvesting scene um, because if you remember, there's like a there's like a loud pop, like a loud mm-hmm. bang.
1: Yes. Um, it is.
2: Which, as I say, I jumped out on my seat in the cinema. But immediately after that, you expect like big jump, and you're like, you know, the, the body deflates, and you just got the skin, and you're like, here we go. And the the music doesn't come in immediately; like it slowly builds. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. Again, you're just like, wait did they did they edit it wrong? Is is it is something supposed to be happening here? And it's just like this deflated skin floating in a void of black, and the music's very slowly coming in after the big pop you're, you know i think a more conventional film would have been like and then we go then we ramp it right up and uh and jonathan glazer and mika levy are like eh, let's just you know let's just have it float for a minute let the music come in settle down you're creeped out you're weirded out don't worry that's how you're supposed to feel <laughs>
0: It's almost like in, in a lesser director, they would they would film this moment and they turn to the composer and be like, all right, you know the stuff that John Carpenter does? I want a big John Carpenter moment right then. Ignoring the fact that John Carpenter wouldn't do that either, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I feel like any other, like they would have done like big percussive kind of thing, like a really yes. big, you know, something like that. And to kind of keep you going with that high intensity, but like like you said, Cal, like it just, it, they, they bring you up and then let you kind of come down on your own and sit in how uncomfortable that was like visually and sonically, like how uncomfortable it was. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Like, this guy, he's a good director guys. I don't know if you know this, but this is Jonathan Glazer. He knows what he's doing.
2: That's a I hot think so. I
1: know. I know. <laughs> uh,
0: and then I think the last thing I, I want to really sort of touch on though is Scarlett Johansson's performance, you know, We've seen her, I think since then, really get into some of the some really interesting dramatic parts, her, her role in marriage story and Jojo Rabbit getting Oscar nominations for both. Um but you know, she's also sort of seen as like the Marvel superhero. She's Black Widow, and you look at her her IMDB page or letterbox credits, and that takes up most of her her movies. But every once in a while, she sort of like gives us the reminder of hey, I'm this like really terrific actor. You know, you think back to something like Lost in Translation or the fact that with just her voice in her, she is able to have such a commanding presence that I believe she should have been nominated an Oscar for that or her work in The Prestige, what she was able to do there or, or stuff that she's done elsewhere. And so everyone's saying, well, she kind of pops up as a reminder of like, hey, I'm not just this like Marvel blockbuster, pretty face." I can, you know, uh, do some action stuff. I can do the serious drama as well. But like I said earlier, I don't think we've seen anything like this from her before or since. What did you make of her performance here, Callum?
2: Uh, I, I, I love it. As I say, I absolutely love it. I think she absolutely nails the sort of quiet observer yet definitely on a mission at first. Um, and I don't know if that's uh, no, I, I do know that, that is definitely hard. There's no way that that's just all on uh you know, the way it's filmed. It's she's a hundred percent. in on the the performance, like the opening sequence where she just walks through the shopping mall, which is Buchanan galleries for any Glaswegians out there. That's what it is. Um, and it's like, she is just sort of acclimatizing herself with, how people are and she's sort of I don't know if she's she's sort of like looking at coats, and you can hear voices in the background and to me it's just like she's sort of listening in she's getting a feel for things because she's about to go out and try and talk to these people and try and hunt these people I, I just think she nails everything in that aspect at the start the sort of coldness especially the beach scene Jesus Christ that is that is just you know uh everything you want from someone who you're like, you are here to kill people where she just like, I've watched that scene so many times. And to me, I'm still like convinced that she absolutely smacks that guy in the head with a rock. Like, I'm like, that's not (laughs) fake. How did they do it? (laughs) Like it's better than any CGI I've ever seen. Like, what is that? The guy's head looks like it's about burst open, but she nails it. She absolutely nails it. And then the sort of latter half of the movie where she's decided to abandon her, uh, her post, and sort of you know see what life has to offer, and it's just the sort of, again. It's it's the observation, the quiet observation, but this time it feels much more like she's like she's 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 let go of again. I don't know if anger is the right word because she's an alien; she doesn't have these emotions. But she looks much more interested and less you know uh, laser focus glazed at the eyes. Uh, like for example when she tries the cake or when she is sitting with the guy as he watches an old comedy show on the tv and she's just sort of sitting listening observing again but this time it's not got the same violence behind it i don't know I, i i think she nails everything about this
0: there's a lot of moments in this movie where you sort of watch her and it's almost like watching uh machine or a robot that's learning something and you can and you can like quite literally see the wheels turning and you can see her listening, registering, thinking what that means, coming up with what she needs to say and then responding where every sort of interaction takes an extra half second or two because of all this detail that she's needing to process. It's like, okay, and then the one plus one equals the two. And then when you get the two, this is what you need to do with the two and all this sort of stuff. And so you watch the early scenes where she's picking up the guys and she's like asking them, oh, where are you going? Do you have family? Are you going to work? What do you do? Things like that. And then later on when she switches from attack mode of trying to lure these men in into having these – when she starts having this relationship with this other man – And it's trying to understand what are his motives. Okay, he's being friendly still. Okay, now let me uh, initiate what I believe love is. And they have this almost sex scene. And then that moment when uh, they're about to start having sex and she freaks out because, of course, as we learn later, it's literally just a skin suit over top of her that she's wearing. And the vagina isn't really a vagina. (laughs) And so she starts inspecting herself. And even though we're only seeing the back, Of her it's just you can tell the performance is there of that this is totally someone who is trying to learn what she is exactly
1: and i think one of the cool things that she does is like by doing all those things without being robotic about it like without taking that stereotypical like i'm thinking like more ex machina where um elisa vikander she's intentionally so like more robotic we know she's a robot yeah yeah whereas scarlett johansson is not she is a, a robot in a way like she is processing like you said dakota but you know her her movements aren't that her movements are still quite human which i i found like a really really fascinating um kind of dichotomy there but like i think she's you know she does this really cool thing of being kind of like an unintentional femme fatale like she is a femme fatale and that is her mission and that is her you know her want in her life if we can call it her life like that that that's what she's kind of created to be but yet she isn't that it's a very different take on the femme fatale which i which i love because it's it's like an innocent femme fatale almost innocent yet like incredibly vicious and manipulative and you know all knowing of what you're doing um but yet she she's got a real softness to her that she brought to the role. And I, yeah, she's incredible in it. She's, she's very, very, this is like one of my, I think probably my favorite thing that she's done. Oh, her. I actually, her maybe is maybe mm-hmm. that's my favorite, but there's like one of the, to me, one of the top things that if you ever, you know, if anyone ever doubts, like is Scarlett Johansson actually a good actress to me? It's like, go watch this movie. Cause you know, she's fantastic in it.
2: And as well, she does it to, like towards the, the latter third of the movie. She she barely speaks a line when she decides mm-hmm, yeah. when she decides like I'm not going to hunt men anymore and it's almost the point where you're like you know like every conversation she's had is to try and lure men to their death. and once she decides I'm not going to do that she doesn't speak as if she she doesn't know how to have a normal conversation uh, because every conversation she's had is almost like you know do your friends do your family you want to come back with me ha, ha, ha. and then I'm not doing that anymore, and she's just silent for so long until she meets the guy in the woods, and it's it, it's it's like one or two words.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I I agree with you, Rachel. I would put it up there with probably her best this and this and her. I, I agree are the two best. It's almost a shame we're like, you know, most most of the actors that you look at the MCU. If we're using this as a reference point, uh, you're talking about Robert Downey Jr. or. Um, a Mark Ruffalo or someone else where you're like, Oh, are they even a good actor? And then you'd be like, Oh yeah, they've other mainstream movies that you've heard of. Whereas with Scarlett Johansson, I feel like her best work is in these really under the radar movies. That unless you're like a, a real big cinephile keeping up with the smaller indie releases, you probably haven't heard of under the skin or seen her. Even something like Lost in translation is still kind of a niche movie considering that that's what she was most well known for for quite a while
1: it's funny you say that i had just had a conversation with somebody about um who didn't know who florence pew was and only knew her because of black widow like they were like oh, oh. they're like who's florence Pugh?" and they went oh uh the, the marvel girl and i'm like that's so rude <laughs> i was like that's the rudest thing i've ever heard about someone calling florence Pugh the marvel girl
0: honestly um, that's a pretty good comparison as far as what the, the point i'm making there
1: yeah it's true you know and and um I saw a cast interview with Florence Pugh you know and they were saying oh did Scarlett Johansson give you any advice and because like I do think they're similar actresses in many ways and like I think Florence Pugh could have as big of a career or if not bigger than Scarlett Johansson really um you know because they're both like I I can see the similarities between the two of them and I think the the advice that Florence Pugh said was like she said Scarlett Johansson basically told her like what don't take a break like because so I think Florence P said something about how she w- she was going to take a break, like go on a holiday or something like that. And Scarlett Johansson was like, why would you do that? Like, work, go work. And like, you're you're so hot right now, like kind of strike while the iron's hot kind of thing, right? Like, just keep going. Keep doing it. You'll have time to relax later.
0: Well, I think that sort of wraps up our discussion on the movie Under the Skin. Do you have any final last things you want to talk about there, Callum, before we get into our games?
2: Yeah, just before I had I had a small a little asides of, as I said, this is a movie set in Glasgow, but I saw it in Vancouver. So I've got a, a Glasgow context and I've got a Canadian Vancouver context as well. So it's very, very brief. Um But I I would love to ask Jonathan Glazer this question. So if Jonathan Glazer, if you're listening, (laughs) um, (laughs) please answer this question. I don't know. Does he have Twitter or Instagram? Probably not. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But anyway, um, so we joked before we were recording uh, about my football team, Rangers, and we joked about your your hockey team that, uh, Rachel, you're a big fan of the the hockey team, aren't you? She is.
1: Montreal Canadiens, yes. yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, the Leafs, the Leafs. The Leafs, yeah. Um, So in Glasgow, the the city I'm from, uh, there's two big football teams. There's there's Rangers and Celtic. um, To put not too fine a point on it, over history, it was like the Catholic team and the Protestant team. That's thankfully, you know, slowly going away. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is two big teams. There's my phone. Let me just turn that off. And um, sorry about that. But the two teams are the two most successful in Scotland. So usually, if there's something on the BBC or on TV, the, if they're doing like a list, for example, of the top 10 best goals between Rangers and Celtic, you know, usually they'll get five for Celtic and five for Rangers, regardless of whether or not they're actually the 10 best. You know, they sort of split it down the middle to sort of keep everything neutral. Um, Does that make sense? Have I made sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm following
2: you so far. Okay. Yeah. So at the start of this movie, Scarlett Johansson... Is driving her van, and there is a bunch of football fans coming out of or going into a game, and you can see that they are Celtic fans. They're wearing Celtic tops. They've got Celtic scarves on. So uh, Celtic get like a an audio, uh, sorry, a visual representation of their team very, very quickly in the movie. And I timed it. I timed it. It's less than two minutes later when she asks someone for directions, and he tells her to go up, turn right, and you'll go past Ibrox Stadium. Now, Ibrox Stadium is Rangers football stadium. So you don't see anything to do with Rangers, but somebody does mention their home ground, whereas you don't hear anything to do with Celtic, but you do see their fans, and it's within two minutes of both of them. And I am wondering if that is a deliberate edit by Jonathan Glazer. I've always wondered it since I've seen it, if he has deliberately put that in within 90 seconds to sort of balance it back out again. Like Glasgow's got these two teams and we, we oh, it's it's Celtic. Nope, we're back. We're back to zero. I don't know if he did, but that is the Glasgow context. And I would love to know if that is just a happy accident or not.
1: That's, that's, that's very pull. interesting. I love that. That's like uh, real sports nerds would only do something, like think of something like that, like for whatever sport it is. I enjoy that. That was a great add on, Callum. Excellent. But also as well, very, very quickly as well, I said I had Canadian context.
2: The Canadian context was the week before it came out in Vancouver. I was reading the Metro newspaper and I have always, always, always remembered this for years to the point where I went online and I found, found the review. It's from May the 2nd, 2014 in the Metro newspaper. And I'm not going to name the journalist. I'm not going to embarrass him. But he (laughs) reviews the movie and he, this is the quote, he put, the movie stars Scarlett Johansson as a humanoid alien vampire driving through the streets of Edinburgh. (laughs) And as soon as I read that, this is before I'd even seen the movie, but I knew it wasn't Edinburgh, I knew it was Glasgow. I was like, that's it, this man, and I've got his name here, but I'm not going to say it, he's on my enemies list. And he's been on there ever since. And as I say, that's, you know, 2014 to now. That's eight years. I still remember the review that called Under the Skin Edinburgh. Still remember it.
0: (laughs) You have made a grave enemy. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to play our games. Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists, vampires, pop culture icons the supernatural and occult, spies and espionage, science and astronomy, and other weird and random things. If any of these topics interest you, give our podcast a shot. Listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Parental advisory, we might use strong language. All right, so we're back. Now, the thing that we always do with every A24 retrospective is we do a double bill pairing and a would you rather. So the first thing that we do is double bill. We're going to start with you, Callum. The way it goes is you're going to pick a movie that you think would make a nice double bill feature, whether thematically because it stars the same person or whatever the reason is that you see fit. The only condition is it cannot be another A24 movie. So, Callum, we're going to start with you. What was your double-bill pairing for Under the Skin?
2: My double-bill pairing is The Fly, the oh. David Cronenberg movie. And uh, the the dog looks very unhappy with that choice. I don't know if you can hear the dog going mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she looks very angry at that choice. Yeah, I think after watching Under the Skin, sort of a movie about an alien learning sort of what it means to be human – why not watch a movie about a man lose what it means to be human?
1: That's a really good one. That's actually really, that's a great pick. Excellent. excellent. That's, we that's a great one, Cronenberg. especially
0: since, yeah, Rachel yeah. and I have not seen that. And we're going to be doing a David Cronenberg episode soon. And we're probably going to talk about the fly.
1: That's so funny. Yeah. That's a great. Pick, though. From what and I know about the movie, that's an amazing pick.
2: It's an amazing yeah. film. And if, if you want to compare it again under the skin is obviously, you know, it's very crisp and clean and sharp and, I mean, it's, you know, it's got the Glasgow, as you say, it's un unfiltered, It's but when they're in the sort of voids, it's, you know, it's pure whites or pure blacks, mm-hmm. uh, and there's not much gore or anything, couple that with a fly, that's the gushiest, mushiest movie out there, that's got, yeah, you're going to enjoy that, I think, don't eat when you're watching it, though. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> Rachel, what is your double bill pairing?
1: Um, I went with a fairly recent movie, uh, which is Titan, 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 Titan. Um, The neon film that was uh, released last year was Julie Ducanaro. I honestly couldn't tell you why exactly. I think it's a double pairing, but I remember watching that movie. And for some reason it just stuck with me. Like it, it felt similar ish to under the skin without being similar at all. Like there's something tonally about the two movies that, um, I just like, I pair them. Like I keep, I kept grouping them together in my mind. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's like the aspects of, you know, talking about gender identity and and that kind of thing. Maybe maybe that's what it is. But um, yeah, I, I think that it would make for an interesting double pairing in that I think where Under the Skin is very quiet and subtle, um, Titane is not so subtle and it is... It is what it is, but yeah, for, I, I, for some reason I group the two movies together, um, in my brain quite a bit for some, yeah.
0: Nice. I, uh, I struggled with this for, for my pick as I, uh, I was texting Rachel about it and came down to three different movies all for different reasons Uh, But I have decided to go with Alien as my pick, and this is because it is a film that is intentionally made to make men feel uncomfortable, and Under the Skin takes a clinical eye on using men's infatuation with attractive women to lure them to their doom.
2: Nice. (laughs) Very nice. Nice.
0: I think that's a, a pretty solid trio of, uh, of movies we've got here. We all went the horror route, uh, mm-hmm. which doesn't shock me at all. My, my other two picks were, would have been um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers for obvious reasons and Silence of the Lambs, which was, you know, looking as a turning the, the male gaze onto females and female gaze onto males. And that was the sort of reversal I was going to do comparison for that. But uh, clearly we are all thinking horror for this double bill pairing, which makes sense.
1: It'd be weird if, if it was, like, a Disney movie. That.
0: Like, that <laughs> and I paired weird. it with Black Widow because they both star Scarlett Johansson.
1: I mean, if it, you could. You could make an argument that, like, if you're trying to look at different facets of Scarlett's, like, I call her Scarlett, um, if if you look at, you know, you just want to do an overview of her career, that would be, like, two movies that you would have to play. Maybe
2: not that back mm-hmm. bad.
0: Back, mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Of course.
2: For. For weeks, like, in fact, even ever since I've been listening to your your Air Twenty Four retrospectives, and you have had this question at the end of each episode, I have always been like, I think it'd be really funny to go on and then say, "What's your double pairing?" And I'd be like, "It's a uh, Tyler Perry's Boo Amadea Halloween," <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't, I didn't have the balls to pull that off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would have been pretty good. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to move on to uh, probably the toughest game we've ever played because there's so little plot to this movie to really grasp onto, and what's there is pretty dark and grim, and I know we've gone there a few times. So we're going to play Would You Rather. The only condition of this is we have to at least be able to think about this and choose one side or the other. So, Callum, what is your Would You Rather
2: question for us? Okay, guys. Would You Rather have to speak exclusively to very strongly accented Scottish people for the rest of your life, and they never repeat themselves, or explain what they mean, (laughs) or speak to nobody for one full year.
1: Oh, wow. I'm gonna go speak to nobody for one full year. (laughs) Because that story I told you at the beginning, was I was so embarrassed, and I was so like, no, I mean, it was just one of those that I'm like, man, I wish I just understood what they said, and like, <laughs> so I could go on my way. Um, yeah, not speak to any. Like, can I speak to myself? If I can speak to myself for a year, that that'd
2: be fine. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, you can speak to yourself. You can't speak to
1: An- like animals way.
2: or dogs or anything, though. There's no.
1: Okay. I'm still gonna go with. Elsa. <laughs> <I was> just- <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh wow. That that's a tough one. I uh I, I think I'll go with the uh talking to Scottish people and just politely nodding my head and going on my way. Uh and just often going, Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I'll I'll flip it over to you, Callum. Uh obviously you understand Scottish people, but what if you're talking to like uh to Brummy people or, or, or Scouse? Or French Canadian. Uh, would, would you be able to do that?
2: <laughs> uh I st- I still think I would I would say speak to them, the strongly accented people for uh for the rest of my life uh and and just as you say, just hope that you pick it up. Um speaking to nobody for a year. Like a year's a lot like you know five minutes of silence you're like
1: jesus man
2: has nobody said anything like so rachel's already a hermit
1: i was gonna say i feel like this just says more about me than anything else it's just a real (laughs) peek into my social life that i'm like it's fine one year no big deal cakewalk only one year yeah (laughs) could we extend it to two or three
0: all right rachel what is your would you rather for us
1: okay I got it. I was, I was literally trying to think of this through the entire episode, but um, would you guys, I'm going to go down the Scottish route as well. I'm going to say it's not a, would you rather in terms of like bad things? It's a preference question. So um, like, would you rather eat haggis or black pudding? Is it me first?
0: You go. Yeah. First. Callum, yeah. which one's better?
2: I love both of them. Mm hmm. I think haggis is better than black pudding, but this is the thing: I don't have haggis as regularly as black pudding. So if I get rid of black pudding, I'm getting rid of more meals. Uh, <laughs> wait, was it which one would I rather eat? Is that the one?
1: Yeah, Screw it! I'm going, I'm going haggis. Obviously, I'm going haggis. I don't know why I was thinking about that. Haggis is better. I was going to say I I much prefer haggis over black. I I like both, but I'll like I could eat haggis every single day and not be sick of it. It's delicious. Really? Okay.
0: I've never had either, okay. and I've only seen pictures of them. So do you know what they are? I can only what the two of them are. Yes, of course. I, I, okay. I do know what they are. Yes. Okay. Uh, I've I've always wanted to try both. I feel like what like how how do you normally eat black pudding? Do you like breakfast? Do you heat it up? Do you do you just have it cold? Like how how, how do you normally prepare it? You fry it. Yeah. fry Okay. It that sounds delicious to me because it's 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 a sausage, right? It's made with obviously with blood, but like it's a sausage, like a, it kind of looks like salami to me.
2: You can get them. You can get them. The ones that, that we get, I don't know about, but the ones that are popular here are more a uh, round. They're they're round shaped. They're like little circles. Yep. Um, but if you go to like a chip shop and ask for like a black pudding supper, and that's deep fried, so that's even better, but <laughs> not as good for you, obviously. Not that black pudding's like a healthy meal, but. <laughs> Um, one of your five a day blood, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's more of like a uh, your regular long sausage shape. But um, the ones that people sort are of just having their house alongside, like you know, bacon and eggs and stuff. They're they're cir- circular.
0: Okay. That, that's sort of what I, what I figured And And that sounds delicious to me. They both, I, I do really want to try both, but like if I, if I go into like a, a Scottish style pub or something like that, and I'm like, Oh, you got, you got the good actual like local food here. Uh, yeah. Give, give me some, uh, black pudding. Give me, give me a proper breakfast and I'll, I'll have that with that. So I, I'll try the, the black pudding first, even though I do eventually would love to try haggis.
1: haggis it's like, that.
2: Di- it's like diet haggis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Light <laughs> is yeah. that
0: is. <laughs> okay good to know uh all right and then uh my question which you know also has nothing really to do with the movie either um would you rather go to a club that unironically plays Darood Sandstorm or star in a movie that ironically plays Darood Sandstorm
1: What is Darood Sandstorm?
2: The song what? in what? The guys. song in the the nightclub in is this that, movie. Yeah.
1: is that like a, a popular song?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> guys, I it know. was.
0: Oh my god, Rachel! Wow, you are you are. I, I feel like I need to pause recording right now just for you to listen to it. So they're like, da 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 Is it a song that I would know
2: hundred percent, I think you. I think you would know it.
0: hundred percent. It came out in 2000, it was really popular in that, like 2000, 2003, and then sort of just became like a meme song a little bit, where you'll hear it played at sporting events and things like that, but most of the time, no one is playing it seriously, which is why it's always hilarious when I watch Under the Skin, and they're out at a club, it could be any song in the world, and they choose basically, like, the most... Oh, cringey, OK, but like Mimi song possible where like everyone's going to stop and know to be like, why the hell are you playing this song right now in this movie when you could literally pick anything?
1: OK, I just played it over my headphones, so I know what you guys are talking about now. What was your question okay, in the <laughs> OK, I will phrase it again.
0: Would you rather go to a club that unironically plays Darude Sandstorm or star in a movie that ironically plays Darude Sandstorm?
1: Callum, why don't you go first?
2: I think that's I think that's easy. Um, I and and maybe this is just the 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 difference in culture or whatever. But go to a nightclub that unironically plays it because that song is great. <laughs> <laughs> and I I am anti this. Well, not anti the 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 whole. Like everything's ironic or whatever, but I love sincerity. I want more sincerity in art. I want, even if it comes off as, you know, overly mawkish and sentimental and, you know, a bit, ah, uh, it's a bit cheesy and a bit, I don't know. I want more of it. I want less irony. I'm sick of irony.
1: <laughs> it's the war on irony. Rachel? I'm gonna go the same thing. I I like because clearly I don't even register this song really, so I have no problems if it's being played. And I feel like I agree. Like let's just be authentic here and just play it because you like it because you think it's a good song at the the club. And yeah, I, I'm gonna go with um un unironically at the club because it's just white noise to me. Evident- evidently,
2: <laughs> but you can't speak to anyone for a full year at that club, so you're gonna just be standing there alone listening to it.
1: I mean that's just another Friday night for me, kind of, <laughs> Cal. The
0: All right, uh, and you know I, I agree with both of you. If if I was out and this song came on, you you bet your your ass, I'm throwing my hands up in the air and going nuts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had genuinely no idea this song was like a thing. It's just like always a sound to me. Like it's just it didn't occur to me that it would be like an actual artist made this song. Like it's just like a bunch of noise to me. <laughs> that song. That's so funny well there you go rachel learning new things yeah. about music i should have known that you didn't know what this was it's it's the i don't know how else you could have described it i was gonna say you should have described it a different way but yeah no listen if it's <laughs> I, I i i don't have any defense for that i probably should have known that. <laughs>
0: All right, well, I think this wraps up our A24 retrospective on Under the Skin. Callum, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow your show and what do you have coming up?
2: Uh, Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, My own podcast uh, is Scare Traducing, which is a name that's very easy to Google. I don't see why you would have any problems with that at all, because (laughs) it's not a made-up word. Um, We (laughs) have coming up... um, Our next episode is going to be on like a Gaspar Noy film, Lux Eterna, which I think actually came out last year, but didn't get released here. So it's coming out on Blu-ray very soon. So we're going to do that. And then I already made a point to people who were saying like, well, men's coming out soon. You want to talk about men? Of course, I'm going to talk about the Alex Garland film Men, but it doesn't come out until June here. So we have to wait until June for that. Um, But that's on the horizon. So those things are coming up.
0: Well, Rachel's already seen men, so she can not talk about that.
1: I didn't give it the best review. Oh no! Don't say that. <laughs> well, we- okay. I, as you were talking, I realized, I'm like we never addressed the malignant elephant in the room. And I nah. like then, you know what? I'm going to throw my hands up with men, though, and say I think it just was for me. Like I can understand people really loving it. I can see it being one of those movies can be really not as divisive as as malignant, but like. It's good. It's a very well-made movie, in my opinion. It's just the the back end of the movie, I was like, what the – this is stupid. Like, it wasn't even a what the fuck, this is crazy. It's just what the fuck, this is stupid.
0: Rachel, where can people find you and your work?
1: You can find me at rachelkh.com and on Twitter, underscore rachelkh.
0: Is there anything that you worked on recently that you want to promote?
1: Uh, I mean, I have the Men Review up for Exclaim, and I also interviewed the director, Reg Harkema, and the executive producer, Nick McKinney, for the Kids in the Hall um, comedy punks. Was that word documentary? Um, that's on POV Magazine.
0: Excellent. Well, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you uh, have seen Under the Skin, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out.
2: I'm sure both of you have seen Zola, which has got like a fucking montage. That's like an extra three and a half stars for for that montage of dicks. (laughs)